Today I welcome Brian Hargrove, Head of School at Northfield Mount Hermon in the USA. In this episode I discuss being purposefully disruptive, creating a community with a smile, empowering students to create and lead clubs, plus the importance of traditions on communities. I want to talk about disruption because mm-hmm. disrupting the status quo is at the DNA of Northfield Mount Hermon. Always talking about being positively disruptive. What does disruption mean for you? Because a lot of the time it became a buzzword probably in the last decade, disruptive industries, disruptive tech. Everyone talk about being disruptive. But what does disruption mean for you in terms of education? I really love this thread and this line of inquiry, for sure. And you're right. And I think I want to relate, I want to get to your question, but I want to relate it to our history because it's really important. Because I actually, and I don't know if you saw this, but actually when I was named head of school, I talked a lot about disruption with purpose. Our school, our DNA, absolutely is, I mean, you think about 1879, first off, founding a school for girls was pretty unusual. But when you think that it was established for poor girls, I'm not going to claim that was a singular vision but it was pretty unique. When you think about the fact that our earliest classes included freed slaves, a Native American, one of the first Chinese graduate from Harvard, first graduate from Northfield Mount Hermon. That was purposeful, but it was incredibly disruptive to the systems. Now, the old Moody wasn't just a DEI prophet. We have to step back and understand that. He was practical. Right. There was a lot of enlightened interest. I say self-interest may not be right, but the line interest in the sense that he felt education was the lever that bring people to their salvation, essentially. As they are educated, they not only are on that path themselves, but then there's a multiplier. Right. And so he was very clear about that. Right. And he recognized that that salvation wasn't just for white men. And so how will you communicate with people from different parts of the world? How will you engage them? How will you engage their hearts and minds? And therefore, you need to think very broadly. And I think fundamentally understanding that we are by in this body, I think he would say in this body of Christ, but I would say in this secular way, right? When we think about our community, we know, and we have known from our earliest days that we are strengthened through diversity. And I think that's pretty remarkable in 1879. When I think about disruption with purpose, I want to be clear, it's not changing for just the sake of changing. I made a comment the other day, we have a holiday Vespers, right? Which is very rooted into the Christian tradition. And I noted that traditions can sometimes be binding in ways that aren't appreciated, maybe not even appropriate, but they can also be empowering, right? When you think about how it connects you to the past, the present, and the future, this common language, you don't change just for the sake of changing, but you are willingness to engage in a, what I would call a rigorous examination of your mission and values. And for us, they're highly aspirational. And every single day, there are moments you say, okay, we hit it. And you say, we're not doing it. So then therefore, how do we shift? And sometimes, especially in education, and I'm sure you working in this space would agree, we don't always embrace change. In fact, usually we don't, we get really comfortable. And whether you're talking about a school or you're talking about how you're managing a classroom, this is how I talk about this unit. This is the book I teach. These are the questions I ask. These are the assignments I give. How do you change it? So when I think about our mission, which is to be clear, how would we empower students to act with humanity and purpose in moments small and great? When I think about our values, inclusivity, learning for life and service, what are we really doing to make sure that every turn we're honoring those 
I mean, you talk about purposeful disruption, and I think that's a real key to mm-hmm. driving any bit of change. It has to be purposeful. It has to be meaningful. It can't be change for change's sake. Right. There has to be direction. I also completely agree with you about living into your mission and your values. I do find it frustrating that too many schools, most schools, I'm going to say, you have it on your website as part of your some corporate language, but how do you live into it? And how do you actually believe it? And it's a culture of belief that you go, no, these aren't just words that Brian and the team have made up and, it, and we're navel gazing, going, aren't we great? That sounds great. This is just the higher meaning of education. You've got to live it every single day and your community need to buy into it. So how are you continuing this <laughs> disruptive legacy of DL mm-hmm. Moody, the school mm-hmm. found? What is going to be your legacy? So one is remember where you came from. Sir Isaac Newton, if we see further, it's because we stand on the shoulders of giants. It's one of my favorite quotes. That doesn't mean hero worship. And someone like D.L. Moody, that's pretty easy to do. I can't tell you how many letters I get. D.L. Moody would be rolling over his grave if he knew this. I'm glad that you have such insight into what D.L. Moody would have thought. I don't speak with that kind of clarity or authority. I can say, as I have already expressed, how I think we're living those values that he helped to shape at our earliest days. And I think we have to think about that. And we do really need to, again, remember him and remember what it means to be Moody's school. That means how does that live forward in a secular way? And I'm okay with that. I'm here by mutual choice. That doesn't mean you run away from that Christian history either. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with our students, and maybe I used this word, but the couple of students repeated it back to me. You were vulnerable and you shared this with us. And I just shared my own faith journey as a struggling Christian. But I asked the fundamentalists, if you look at all, all the great, if you look at the major faiths in our world, these are really the fundamental questions, right? Do I love others the way I love myself? Do I treat people the way I want myself to be treated? I mean, these are truisms in these faiths and asking them to examine that in the context of our mission and our values. We talk about it. So the second part you really ask is, well, you know, earlier was culture. And so another great quote, I know you and I've read it many times, right? Culture eat strategy for breakfast and a Peter Drucker quote. What is the culture? And I think that is my work, which gets to your question. My legacy is, I think, doubling down on the fact that our whole work is about ensuring that our students have the ability and the tools to go out and make a difference in their communities, to serve and to lead, that this work is not just about perpetuating privilege. It's about saying, Let's look to our founding. Let's look to our DNA. We are here to serve others. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about the privileges we have and what the responsibilities, the massive responsibilities that come with that. And we do. We talk about it a lot, Simon. And I think it makes it when bad things happen, whether they're here or on a macro scale, but we know they happen. And we know that my colleagues and I have had to write many letters the last few years about macro challenges. Being able to come back to our mission and values every time, that's the place. Yeah, no, exactly. And part of it as well is you have to live and breathe it beyond it. The way we look at it through a lens is, is I look at that schools put out. So you think about all your external communication, your internal communications. The language that you use has to be a thread. Your values have to be a thread through everything you do. So it's not just a feeling and you're going about doing service. You've got to represent that and also show it. And you should be able to measure it in a way. There's a measurement, which is the intangible feeling going, yeah, no, that we do a great job. I can feel this sense of service and community. But then someone looking from the outside, how do I see that? How do I feel it? And that's something I'm really passionate about is getting schools to go, look, you can have those great words. You can talk about inclusivity. We talk about curiosity. We talk about service. These are great things. 
you see it happening in a school, but you've got to capture it. So when you're talking about it, whether it's your social platforms, whether you're doing it through communications with prospective families or or your stories from your alumni that leave, this is you connecting the past, embedding it in the current and looking at the future. We talk a lot about, I guess maybe this, again, I've talked about examination, our willingness to really hold up the mirror. I know you have some questions later, and I think we'll get into this, but these are very interesting times in which our children are living and our students. And there's some wonderful days, and there are some really hard moments in those wonderful days. And how are you really honestly capturing? And that gets to an important part about culture, which I think is, it's obvious. All this has to be authentic. A new faculty member, and I really, I I told the students about this too. I love this question, which was, Brian, can you be your authentic self as head of school? That's interesting. And I think he actually really wanted to hear. I don't think he he said, what am I going to say to the head of school? I think there was some sensitivity to that. What is it like to walk in my shoes? The reality is about 98% of the time, and maybe where I'm not authentic, maybe is where I've tried to be a little bit more careful sometimes about with just different audiences to understand how might this land and my passion and my forthrightness and directness might not be something they're wired for. So I need to be sensitive about that. The reality is both because of my position, but more importantly, because of the mission and the values and my alignment and our alignment with the board and our adults on campus and our willingness to talk about it, I feel like yeah, I get to be myself. I don't know how many of these you do, but you can, I think, pretty much probably sniff out, okay, it's, can they really be themselves? And I think about all the tumult we've had in the last few years. Not that every alum has liked every letter I've written. I'm sure they haven't. I'm sure every parent hasn't liked it. They haven't liked some of the positions I've taken, whether it's on how do we respond to what is happening with racial upheaval in this country or they like, don't like how I'm communicating specifically about the fact that, yes, even though we have embraced these values for a long time, we still fail. Not everyone likes hearing that. Yeah. How do I not talk about it? Look at the diversity we have on campus. People sniff it out. We can't live behind a promise, a vanity veneer that we've created that upholds how great we perceive ourselves to be. Being anchored Right, is really important. You're anchored in your faith, you're anchored in your service, you're anchored in that, and you have absolute North Stars that are driven on a purpose. And that's the value of education. And so you talk about a purposeful disruption. That's a really great distinction just between that and disruption. And I think disruption, particularly when we kind of align it to the exponential rate of change with technology, it's too often aligned with technology because technology has changed the way we do things. We've actually got to look at the way in which our kids learn, the way in which our kids love and belong, their esteem, their their self-worth, disruption to the core essence of the human that maybe we don't talk enough about. And maybe that's your purposeful disruption that we need to look at is how do we bring that alignment that's shared towards a common societal ambition? It is important to consider impact and how do things land on our various constituents. So, So as you were talking about technology, I was thinking about what's going on with Twitter right now. It's like, well, can we... What is the purpose? Is it free expression? Is it democratizing information in the way that I think is being communicated by Elon Musk? Or is it just disruption to disrupt? I don't know. And I know he's operating on a different plane, so I'm not going to pretend to know and speak for that. But I'm trying to understand, okay, what are we really trying to get at? I will say this too about technology and I think about it. I'm so fortunate. I meet these great mentors and, and a longtime school head told me that she approaches every year as, as if it's a startup. And I thought, wow, that is really good. Because think about the world our kids are going to. And one of the things, one of the data points, whether I'm sure we can debate it, but it's one of these things that has been widely shared is that that our current students are going to, by the time 2030, like the majority of jobs haven't even been invented. Okay, now I don't know the exact 
veracity of that and how that was assessed. But it's an interesting idea, right? How quickly the world is moving. And certainly we see that. And I think about the changes that we've seen even in just the last few years. So I think about, okay, we need to think about ourselves as a startup, but I add a corollary as a startup that's 140 plus years old. Let's understand who we are and why we might approach things in new ways. And you think about this, where this was on, and I'm sure you have questions about this, but where this has been on absolutely our ability to do this and to live this was tested in entirely new ways in COVID. And depending on kind of institutional culture, I think absolutely informed how some institutions are able to respond. And I think you look at technology enabled us to continue with education. Without technology, education would have floundered because there was no way of continuing the method of teaching and practice and absorption by the students. It just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between the ability to be able to connect and carry on some level of educating to was it really great, right? Every single teacher on the planet in every school do a brilliant job. Did they use technology as some tech ninja that Hmm. was just, they're brilliant at it and everything was better? I don't think so, but we were all up against it and we did the best we could as a bunch of teachers and adults and the kids too. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. When technology is thrown in there, we talked about displacement of jobs, whether it's through the idea of automation or tech. But I have a slide that I use when I do keynotes around the future of education. And when you look back even the last sort of 200 years, maybe even the last 100 years, when you look at the jobs that were in manufacturing agriculture, Yes, the number of jobs in America have completely, it's shrunk hugely, but the number of jobs available haven't. So all they've done is displace it. These industries still operate. The number of people in the workforce has not. We've not lost jobs. We've just displaced the jobs because technology has made them more efficient and new jobs have been created to support the technology or the industry that's in it. But we can get too far carried away. I didn't get chances when I was at school to talk about social media and data analytics, data mining and building algorithmic stories. These weren't things, but these are just for now. But I want to talk to you about happiness. The students smile because you said that students don't smile if they're not known and loved. How do you foster a community where actually everyone feels known and loved? And how big is your school to give us some context as to how do you know and love everyone? It's funny. I don't remember that quote exactly. I believe you. One of the things that's nice about being authentic and telling the truth is you don't have to remember what you said. Yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. And I do believe that. I do believe that knowing students and loving them is really the gateway to so much of the work that we do. So our school is this year, we opened up 645 students, 645 students, nine through 12 with some postgraduates, a small number of postgraduates. We have young kids as young as 13 and some who will graduate 19 or even older in some cases. That's a lot to hold. We have a faculty of around 90 and then about 30 administrative faculty members who work with students in various ways. And then, of course, a lot of other support people who are not in faculty roles. How do you know the kids? And that is one of the things that I'm, I am proud of what we do. And I'm also aware that I feel like we are almost daily asking ourselves, how can we do a better job with it? How do we do it? It really starts, of course, being a school that's predominantly boarding, about 85% boarding. So the residential experience is fundamental. The role of the advisor in 
making sure these pieces are being pieced together. So whether that's in the classroom, whether that's an extracurricular activity, whether that is in the dorm, whether that we have something work job, which is a is actually a service program that we have that every student does work on campus for several hours a day. And there's other adults who are involved there. Learning support. How are all these adults working together in support of young Simon? And I think that has been one of the things that's differentiated us. How do you operate with the school that has this really broad kind of big school program in quotes, but certainly schools larger than us and have the offerings and have the curriculum and have this kind of reach while maintaining this very close-knit community. And I think, again, it comes to intentionality. And that means intentionality, by the way, from the word go, from when they're accepted. And one of the things that you're, when you're accepted in Northfield Mount Hermon is you'll receive a letter from the school saying, these are things that we learned about you in the process and why we think you will engage here. And then it's our challenge. How do you carry that forward to make sure as that student grows in this community, we continue to really know them. Loving them, I think hopefully those of us who choose to do this work are predisposed to love young people and want to be around young people and the energy that they bring. I think there are times as a parent, I can say it's never a question of loving. Sometimes liking is, can be tough. You're like, I'm not really like how my kid's acting right now, but it's not a question, do I love them? And I think our adults here, and this gets back to our mission, it gets back to our values. They love kids and they love being around kids. I mentioned earlier COVID and some of the things that we did around COVID. I'm incredibly proud of to be more on kind of point of what you're asking now about the kids and their health. Well, not only have we, are we emerging from a pandemic, but there is a worldwide youth mental health crisis. And again, I want to be real about this to say that our kids at Northfield Mount Hermon are so happy and so engaged and everything's so wonderful. And it's always just rainbows and unicorns and it's great. It's just not accurate. Why would our kids be any different than the kids around the world? That we write our kids represent kids around the world, right? And what I would say about this generation is that you said the word earlier, they are resilient. These kids are amazingly resilient. Just the remarkable things they've had to, my generation, I don't know we can handle this. And we were the 80s me. These kids are remarkable in how resilient or beyond COVID. I already mentioned earlier, the racial uprest, the economic of people, the fact that there are wars on multiple continents right now. The fact that we are looking at an environmental crisis that is being more and more understood every day. And they're wondering about the planet they're going to inherit. I completely, again, agreed with you because we've come out of COVID, oh, we're back to normal. And it's almost like the great pause, it happened, but we got through it. But you don't see the physical scars of the damage it has done to our young people, but not to our young people, young adults as well, because they're the ones who are now going into a world that maybe they weren't as best prepared for because they were locked away. We've got to keep shining a light on this. How do we keep momentum? Because it's a silent killer, but it won't go silently. And I just think we're naive to think as educators and as parents that everything's rosy. Should we be doing more in the timetable to find more time to support our kids? We talk about vulnerability and mental health is a bigger topic to talk about. But it shouldn't just be a topic to talk about. We need tangible actions that are there to support. When I was growing up here in the U.S. at least, and I think this was pretty normative. I know it's normative where I grew up. If someone had even cancer, right, you were very careful about talking about cancer. That changed, right? That changed in our youth, right? Much more normalized. But mental health, issues around mental health, some of the consequences of mental health challenges, abuses around drugs and alcohol, those things were still very taboo. So I think one of the things we have to do 
as leaders and educators is talk about it, shine the light on it. And I think we're getting better about doing that. But I uh, certainly, I can say in our school environment, we do. But asking in the role of working with our parents as partners, like we need to talk about it. And we need to remove any barrier that student may have to getting help and thinking about it and unpacking some of these things. And understanding that there are, and I'm not a mental health expert, of course, but I do understand, I believe, fundamentally, there's a lot going on in adolescence with body chemistry. We know that. We know that you overlay other issues that we're facing on a macro level, and then you apply micro conditions that student may be experiencing, whether they're here or in their home or elsewhere. And this is a complicated elixir. And so I think you have to talk about it. And we do. And we try to bring more resources to bear. We've done that. You said, Ben, I don't know if you were referring to suicide or not. We talked about the silent killer. I think it's certainly anybody who's working in a school or a parent, right? You, I hope you're thinking about how are we holding and supporting our kids and understanding you can be resilient. You can be happy. You can have a great day. And you can have these other things that are happening in your life. And that's real too. This to me is among the challenges of our work. I know you're suggesting where does this fit in the day? Math is important. Calculus is, I know a lot of students are eager to take calculus by their senior year, so they can go on to the next level. But these things are small compared to how are you as a human being? It comes back to the smile and the love. You want them to be happy and you want them to come out of their time at your school to be happy, confident, curious, and wanting to go out there with service and to make a difference in the world. Part of that is showing vulnerability. I think our kids show vulnerability more. Mm -hmm. We should learn from, but it's recognizing it's not something like a broken arm or a, I can see a bruise in your head. It's not that. And we're the new generation coming through where we're having to understand a lot more of it because our parents' generation was just it's no big deal, pull yourself together. It'll be better tomorrow and it's not. Moving on, I want to talk to you, obviously boarding schools are great places because you've got so many clubs, so many activities. And I know mm -hmm. that you encourage all your students to set up groups and do their own kind of clubs. Why do you do this and why don't you keep it to a strict kind of set of activities? Well, it gets back to a little bit what we were saying. Again, content, academics, this is fundamental to what we're doing. But yeah, you talk to alums, they rarely talk about that calculus class. They most often talk about, I had this experience walking across the campus and Brian noticed that I had my head was down and asked me how my day was going and unloaded on him and shared what was on my mind and my heart at that moment. And it was really, it was a big conversation for me. Okay, that's the crease. Or I was on a team and we could not put it together. We lost a lot of the close games and it really wasn't until we came back after winter break and there was a shift. And I started to see how we started to cooperate in a different way. And I literally learned the value of being on a team. Or I was in the dorm and I couldn't get along with Simon for weeks and weeks. And it wasn't until I realized I needed to shift my perspective that these are the creases of a school, right? And I think having diverse clubs, having diverse activities, it's about meeting the students where they are in their experience. And what a ninth grader needs may be very different from a senior. We want to give them this idea that, yes, there are some people who more naturally might seek the opportunities to lead. But if you think about the fact that our very mission is and value set forth about acting with humanity and purpose, we all have a role in serving and leading. And we need to give them the capacity, the tools to serve and lead. And you do that through experiential learning. So to me, it's very straightforward. We've long had affinity groups. We had affinity groups before people were talking about affinity groups more than 50 years, but understanding 
in a very real way, especially if you think about racial affinity groups or religious affinity groups, finding that connectivity might provide this reservoir of strength and understanding, which then allows you to go out and engage in fuller and different ways. That is absolutely, those are part of the work that we do. We have groups that take on, we have a group that our student diversity committee, which is one of the strongest parts of our student leadership model that are helping us as peer leaders to engage the holding up the mirror on campus. And I love that. What I'm really always get excited about is how are you meeting those students where they are and in meaningful ways and with intentionality so that they can grow and further develop their tools so they can go out and live our mission. I love traditions. School traditions are great because mm-hmm. they connect the past with today and hopefully they remain relevant and fit for purpose for the future. You have something called Mountain Day. Mountain Day is one of these, I think, traditions that can bind and do bind us. We don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head how many decades we've done it, but where we started, where you take the whole student body out and you go climb a mountain. There's a mountain that's, it's about 40 minute drive. It's not that far miles wise, but the roads aren't straight in New Hampshire. It's called Mount Monadnack. Mount Monadnack is well known in the region. You go to the top, you can see not only campus, but you can see all the way to Boston. Right. And so now we go up with the seniors to Mount Monadnack. You can take a few hours to climb it. Now, what's really wonderful is in our senior class, which is typically around a couple hundred kids, you've got a widely divergent athletic abilities. Right. And so literally one of the teams like ran up the mountain. So I tried, I had a 30 minute head start and I wanted to beat them and (laughs) greet them. I was probably, I don't know, 10 minutes from summoning. And these kids are literally running up the face of the mountain. I'm like, oh my 52 year old body. I was feeling it every day. Of that, but I was excited for what they were doing. And then the rest of the class over the next few hours makes their way up to the mountain. And then we come down and we have a big picnic together, some chili, and it's a wonderful tradition. It's a big deal because they're always waiting. When are you going to announce it? When are you going to announce it? And so somehow the day before, find a way to build that in and try to surprise them. And then our ninth through 11th, they go on the hills and more modest mountains across the river and they go through a hiking and they either come back on campus or also picnic. It also comes back to our commitment to place. We are in this beautiful place in the Connecticut River Valley, land that we're stewarding. And by the way, that is is not, and we recently had a a member of the Nipmuc tribe. We're on their land. Pretty powerful. You look at that map, like, yeah, none of us were here, right? (laughs) Pretty powerful. But we understand our connection to this place. We understand that we must steward it. And we have a school farm, part of our, how we are engaged in this place. Mountain Day, engaging with the environment, being outside, understand a clear day, you can see all the way to Boston because it aligns so much with who we are, our sense of place, our sense of history, our sense of responsibility of stewarding that for others. It's fun. It's a great break. And it's a really memorable moment. Brian, thanks ever so much. It's been really inspiring chatting to you this afternoon. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.